0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory.
1: Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, folks. Welcome to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Our goal every week is to help you take your next wise step in your financial life. Guys, my name is Mike Bernard and joining me in the MNC studio is my friend and colleague, well, are my friends and colleagues, Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn.
2: Yeah, thanks for spending the hour with us today. In today's episode, we're going to, uh, and over the next couple of weeks, actually, we're going to be talking about the top 12 financial choices that people Uh, make that they end up regretting, uh, at least in the short term, but sometimes even for the rest of their life. And we're going to be talking about what those regrets are and how you recover from them if you're in a similar situation. And best of all, we're going to give you some ideas on how you might avoid them completely.
1: As always, but especially because of what we're covering today, we want to hear from you. So these regrets are not, you know, pervasive, where every time you make this decision, you're going to regret it. So you might disagree with us or whatever, you know, we want to hear from you. So if you don't like what we say, or you want to applaud what we say, send us an email, give us a call, wisemoneyradio.com is where you can submit a question or a comment or all that sort of stuff. Or you can give us a call, 574-222-2000.
3: So is that your confession that you're trying to stir up
1: some controversy here? No, I'm actually planting controversy. I'm sending some uh, unsolicited anonymous comments to both of you. (laughs)
2: But we would, we would like to hear from you if you've made a big uh, mistake or you would consider it a mistake and you'd like us to discuss it on the air, we're happy to do so.
1: So we're going to be talking about the top 12, as Kevin said. So anytime we launch into a list, or at least if I'm reading something, I know a list is coming, I just want to get to the list. But we're going to take just a moment and put things in context here, kind of wrap it around with, all right, here's why we're doing this show in this series.
2: Yeah, In my 20-plus years of experience, I've observed that most folks have at least one uh, major financial mistake or regret that that sticks out. And as financial planners, we have a bird's-eye view into people's lives as we coach them through how to reach their financial goals. And many times, there's a good deal of guilt or shame that uh, comes with having made a big mistake. And so what we've tried to do is encourage people... To take the energy that comes uh, from the shame or regret that they might have, and use that energy to work their way out of whatever mistake or problem that might be. And most folks are amazed at how quickly mistakes can be remedied if you have a plan. So I think it is important, you know, to point out that you know whether you feel guilt or shame or whatever your emotions. Uh, a lot of times, when people make mistakes, they feel alone and. I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. You know, your your biggest financial mistakes typically aren't what you discuss around the water cooler at work or the pool party this summer, but everyone makes mistakes. And I, as I see it, the issue isn't did I make a mistake, but rather how did I respond to the mistake and rectify it so it doesn't swamp my financial boat.
3: You know, you just hit something there that I think is kind of the sneaky thing about financial mistakes is that when people make the mistake and regret sets in after the fact, It's not like they're out telling the world that they screwed up, right? Right. Um, And because of that, nobody really has a a great venue for learning about other people's mistakes because on a surface level, you might think, hey, uh, my neighbor, they've got it together financially. They have no regrets, right? Well, maybe they're just not sharing those. So hopefully this, this series that we're breaking into here, Uh, We'll start unpacking some of the regrets that are confessed to us behind closed doors and obviously always in a confidential setting. But we've seen so many people uh, live to regret some of the choices they've made and hopefully you can learn from them. That's right.
1: Okay, without further ado, let's jump right in. Financial regret number one is borrowing from your 401k, taking a 401k loan. Uh, I think it's probably appropriate to start out by acknowledging that not every plan, not every 401k and not every retirement plan allows you to take a 401k loan. It's a special feature that you have to add on there. And so not everyone does. And there are certain rules and limitations and so on. If your plan does allow you to take a loan, your loan amount can only be 50% of the balance up to $50,000. Some, yeah,
3: so you've got to do some saving into that plan long before you're ready to start taking a
1: loan, right? Exactly. There's very strict repayment uh, uh, plans. You've got to pay it off within five years. It comes right out of your paycheck. And so there's not a lot of flexibility in your payment options and so on. So it's important before we even dive into this regret is to actually talk about, okay, how does the 401k loan even work? And just know it's not available to everyone, and there are certain limitations and rules surrounding it.
3: Well, some of those rules being that 5-year repayment schedule that you mentioned which may be faster than other loans that you are trying to pay back. Well, shoot, they're trying to push auto loans
1: out to 7 years. I right. hear mortgages are even 30 years these days. <laughs> what will they come up with what next? What will they come right. up with next? But yeah, I mean 5-year if you're if you're looking at a credit card, most people you know, pay a minimum amount on their credit card.
2: And that can take a lot longer than five years. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. yeah. So when you think about it, a four hundred and one k loan is a tool. So i I am never uh, one to say you uh, this tool is the forbidden fruit in your financial life. But I do think a, a 401, with a four hundred and one k loan, it's it's a tool that can get you in some pretty big trouble fairly quickly if you're not. If you don't have a strategy and what you're trying to do, I think of if I'm borrowing money from my 401k for a lifestyle type of a thing, or I want the bass boat this summer instead of accumulating money for the next two summers. And so, it, and and quite honestly, a 401k loan can can uh, work well or work poorly depending on your timing. If you took a 401k loan at the beginning of 2007. You, you won at the uh, at the craps table. If you took it at the beginning of 2009, you probably lost big time. What do you mean by that? Ga- yeah, that yeah. might not be evident to everybody. Sure, well, if you took it at the beginning of 2007, you were repaying it back over five years. So I think about 401k loan as a bad haircut, right? It, 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 it will eventually grow back, because you have to pay it back. You have five years to pay it back. And so if you took it at the beginning of 2007, that a, a portion of that money was out of the market during the uh forty percent down year in two thousand and eight and some of two thousand and nine so you you borrowed when the market was high and paid back as the market was going lower mm-hmm. If you took it to me in two thousand and nine you borrowed when the market was down and you missed the spring the 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 with the market bounce in two thousand and nine and coming back you missed it. Yeah.
3: I think that's important to to unpack for people because a lot of folks don't realize that when you are borrowing against your 401k, you're taking a chunk of your investment dollars, your retirement nest egg out of commission, right? It's no longer in the market and growing for you, going through the ups and the downs. It's now set on a repayment schedule. And so you're you're missing out potentially on either some good performance or some bad, but Obviously, over the long term, we're assuming that the market's going to do well for you. Yeah. And that's exactly why you're trying to grow dollars for the future in a 401k to begin with.
1: The other issue a lot of people say or are, I don't know, susceptible to taking a 401k loan because of the idea that they're paying interest back to themselves. I'd rather pay myself interest than pay the bank interest. And I'm not going to argue with that. What I would argue with, though, is that interest you're paying back to yourself is with after-tax dollars. Right. And so after-tax dollars are going back into your 401k, and then someday when you retire and withdraw those dollars out, yeah, you're going to pay tax on those dollars. So you're double taxing yourself on the interest portion. So you need to be aware of that. Just the interest portion. Just the interest portion.
3: So you know, the, the real heartbreaking situation that uh, that I've seen in the past is when someone takes a 401k loan, they now have the payments being pulled right out of their paycheck, which that has convenience to it, right? Right. Um, but because they're, they've got this new payment, they shrink down the contributions that they're making to the 401k, which is especially heartbreaking when it takes them below where they could get the full match from their employer. Oh, so they're yes. leaving money on the table. It just adds to the cost of even having a 401k loan to begin with.
2: Yeah, I think the, really the biggest risk in taking a 401k loan is if I took the 401k loan today and I lost my job tomorrow, yeah. I, I've got a I've got a big problem because I potentially am going to end up paying taxes and a penalty on all that amount that's already been spent. Yep. Yeah. that's
3: right. And that in and of itself has the power of pushing you in the wrong direction financially in a hurry when you're being gouged by the tax man because of an event that you didn't anticipate. You lost your job, you move on to an, another employer, and all those loan dollars have to be paid back in, in quick order. If they're not, it's that distribution and penal- penalty like you mentioned.
1: Well, so one way to recover from this, if you've made this decision, is to not get antsy with your job. <laughs> if you have a 401k loan out there, you be very aware before you say, I'm fed up, I'm leaving this place, I'm getting a different job or whatever. Be very aware of what the tax consequence and penalty could be. Okay, well, good stuff. We've got financial regret number two coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike. In the studio with me, Josh and Kevin, both of us, or all of us, financial advisors at KFG. If you have a comment about what we're talking about, a question for the show or anything like that, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can also check out previous episodes and all of that right there or you can give us a call 574-222-2000 okay so today's show and really the next couple shows are all about your biggest financial regrets not to poke you or make you feel shameful or embarrassed but really to talk about all right how do you avoid these mistakes in the future or how do you learn from them basically recover quickly you know terrible lessons are some of the best ways to improve or, or, excuse me, you know, terrible experiences are some of the best lessons in life. So we're talking about that today. We're starting, uh, we started with uh, taking a 401k loan. That was the first regret. Second here, we're launching into right now, and that's drawing social security
3: early. Yeah, this one feels like one that gets a lot of pushback from folks. You know, we warn against drawing too early quite often, but Everybody has a neighbor or a family member who believes wholeheartedly that you need to start drawing your Social Security just as early as possible, right? Yeah, and a lot of times it's driven by fear. Has been my observation. They're afraid that, boy, what if the the government renegs on the whole offer to be paying you Social Security? You know, somewhere down the line, the system goes debunk and. You you miss out on getting to collect all the dollars owed to you. Well, it's that or
1: that you pass away early and you don't. Yeah, that's the other one. So if the the government renegs on their promise or you don't live a long life. That's right. So it is, yeah, I see that. I would echo that, that it's often a, a decision made out of emotion, and that emotion being fear.
2: Well, and it also, Mike and I yesterday were in a different state talking to another financial advisor and sharing ideas and his strategy for all of his clients across the board is take it at 62 yeah take it as soon as you can so he
3: advises everybody everybody, everybody, no matter what their situation is
2: because his his philosophy behind that is you never know when you're going to die and he you can't argue with him because you don't ever know when you're going to die But I look at that and I think, well, what's the biggest risk? What are we dealing with here? And really the biggest risk or what could poke a hole in your retirement, in in my opinion, is longevity risk.
3: Yeah, that you live longer than you ever expected, right? That's the biggest financial concern that you could be facing.
2: And my money doesn't live as long as I do or my money doesn't live as long as I had expected it to. Or I don't have as much money as I'd hoped to do in order to maintain the lifestyle that I'd hope to have.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, so, but right now, the overwhelming majority of folks choose to file for Social Security right at 62. Right. And the second most popular time is at their full retirement age, which we'll dive into in just a minute. But most people take the emotional route and say, as soon as I can collect it, I'm taking it.
3: You know, ironically, that's doing... Uh, wonders for trying to sustain the Social Security uh, lifeblood, if you will, you know, being able to keep the system going long-term. The more people that draw early and limit their own benefits over their lifetime, the better off the system is. So I wrote, I wrote an article hoping
1: to throw it on the blog here once we get that up and running soon uh, about Social Security and the emotions that play into it. And I don't know, again, everyone knows here on the show that I'm a nerd. But the title of the article was Oedipus and Social Security. So, you guys remember this story about Oedipus? Sure. Right? From when Maybe the one that fell in love with his own mom or something. Right. So, he heard, he heard an oracle that he was going to do that, that, that was going to happen to him. And so he said, No way. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And he ran away. And of course, you know, a lot of drama ensued, but he ran right into fulfilling that prophecy. And I, I go back to the fear that drives a lot of people to draw Social Security as soon as possible. And part of the fear could be, well, the government is going to shut down the program. They're gonna renege on their promise. So uh, another way of framing that is, they're not gonna give me as much money as they told me they would, right? And then second, the second fear is, uh, you know, I I might die before I am able to collect a large amount. Well, drawing Social Security early is a very similar way of taking matters in your own hands just like Oedipus and basically securing that you're going to get the smallest amount out of Social Security possible. Yeah. Right? Instead of delaying drawing it and and maximizing your lifetime income out of Social Security, you run headlong right into, yep, I'm going to force the government to give me 75% of what my actual benefit is,
2: a reduced amount. Yeah. Yeah, if you draw 62, you're drawing 75%. And at sixty six, you're drawing one hundred percent of your benefit. If you wait till seventy, it's one hundred and thirty two percent. Yeah, so the entire for your whole there. lifetime, right? That's the point for your whole life. And the big deal also in considering this, I mean, the the reason why you would for sure draw at sixty two or as soon as you can is if you did have some health issues that statistically your life expectancy it just meant that you you weren't going to live as long as a healthy person your age.
1: But I wouldn't say that's an absolute though, because if, if you're single and you've got health issues, absolutely. Or if your, your spouse made as much money in their career or more than you did and you've got health issues, then do that. But if, if you've got a, if, if you're the primary breadwinner and you've got a spouse who's relying, who needs social security too, your health problem might not impact their life longevity and their, their life expectancy. And if your social security is higher, then they're going to be stuck with yours if you pass away early. So yeah, I would still, there's still an incentive there to let yours grow and be as big as possible.
3: Right. Think of your surviving spouse. Is Absolutely. The, is right. the message there.
1: Because
2: the surviving spouse gets the bigger amount. So if you have the bigger amount and you can grow that amount, yep, uh, the survivor wins.
3: Okay. You know, the hard thing about this particular regret is, yes, there's a lot of uh, a lot of the mentality out there that it's not a mistake at all. You should absolutely take it at 62. So you've got that argument. But also it takes so long to know whether or not it was a mistake. Right. You know, you you won't really know that uh, this is limiting your lifetime income until you've lived a long, long time. And there's a break even point that everyone has. And it all depends on what you're going to do with the money and how long you wait and everything. But if you live long enough, eventually you will feel the pinch of your income starting to get stretched thin and your resources starting to be depleted. And it's all because life just keeps getting more expensive as you go deeper and deeper into retirement. But by the time you get out there, are you going to remember, boy, I I wish I had waited a little longer to take social security? Or are you just going to be upset that, Groceries are getting more expensive yeah. and the electric company just keeps gouging you more and, and so on.
1: So he, I've got two ideas. If you're listening and haven't yet made a social security choice, I've got two ideas to fight this temptation and resist this urge of making this financial regret yourself. The first is to choose to live healthy today. You really want to beat the system. No one's guaranteed tomorrow, but make healthy choices today so that hopefully That increases your odds of a long life and you're cashing in on Uncle Sam, right? So make healthy choices today. I don't care what age you are. Start living a little bit healthier so you can do everything in your power to have a longer life. Second, and of course we're going to say this, but tune into your financial plan. Retirement planning is one of the six areas of financial planning. Everyone's life has six areas to their their finances. And retirement plan, retirement planning is one of those.
3: And the specific way that you should attack that area of your financial plan, the retirement plan, is trying to solve the story problem. How do I make sure that my money's going to last as long as I do? And you have to presume that you're going to live longer than you really think you are. Don't try to plan as though I'm going to die early, so I better hurry up and spend through these dollars. No, the, the story problem is how do you make the money last? That's
2: right. Yeah, so I think that with your considerations, you consider your cash needs, your health, your spouse and your spouse's health. And the other thing that we didn't mention is am I going to come out of retirement and start working? So I take it early. I'm limited On how much I can make without my social security being reduced. That's right. If you're if you draw social security before your full retirement age,
1: which for a lot of folks is sixty six to sixty seven, then you're limited on how much earnings, how much you can go and make at a part time job or full time job. You basically can't work full time. That limit's low enough.
2: Without your benefit being reduced. That's right. That's right.
1: So Okay. Well, good stuff, guys. All right. We're talking about big financial regrets, how you avoid them, how you recover from them. Coming up, we've got regret number three. And by the way, regret four, that's a doozy. Very controversial. So looking forward to that. Coming up next on Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group, 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group on Newstalk 953, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group right here on 953 MNC. My name's Mike, joined by Josh and Kevin in the studio. We are tackling the financial choices that people make that they later regret and regret for the rest of their life because some of them have really a long stretching. Uh, impact on their financial life. We're talking about this stuff not to poke anyone in the eye, but to help you avoid making these decisions yourself. Or if you find yourself in a similar spot, how do you recover from it quickly? How do you, how do you uh, overcome this decision? So, all right, the first one was taking a 401k loan. Second one that we just hit was drawing social security early. Number three, financial regret number three is paying the minimum on your credit cards. I would absolutely assume that most people do it, but hopefully you've got the financial wherewithal to realize, oh, gosh, this is going to take forever and, and end up regretting making that decision.
3: Well, well when you do the math, it, it will hurt your feelings in, in a hurry. I did a little bit of it. Did you do some of it to share I, over the I airways here? You know, I, I wanted to know what does the average household have in credit card debt? I've, I've oh, you're going to hurt my number. feelings. Yeah. Well, now this number is those who have credit card debt, Okay. What is the average among those households? Okay. okay. Ninety six hundred dollars. Oh my goodness. Mm. I then looked up what is the average interest rate? Oh it's no. a little over fifteen percent on average. Wow. Okay. So you you do that math. What what amount of interest is the average American household who has credit card debt paying? Fifteen percent on ninety six hundred dollars, it comes to just, you know, just under fifteen hundred bucks a year. Wow. So, in other words, that's $121 a month that's just bleeding out. It's just lining the 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 coffers of some credit card company somewhere, some big bank. And it's money that you're not using for your own financial life, your own enjoyment, your own future. It's all just bleeding out. And um, I, I don't know, it, it's heartbreaking when you stop and consider I mean, there's a lot of folks who have many multiples of these numbers in credit card debt.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think when you think about credit cards, you want to have some guiding principles that you operate your financial life by. And I would say one guiding principle is don't have credit card debt that goes beyond a month. And so if, if you say, Hey, I want to be above average, get your credit cards in a situation where you pay them off monthly. If you're not able to do that, maybe it's time for some plastic surgery. And you need to deal with it in a different way and cut those babies up, put them in water and freeze them in the freezer.
1: After the plastic surgery, do you deal with the credit cards <laughs> then?
2: After you recover? So I, I think one of the things I, I I did a little math myself and I said, okay, on a on a thousand dollar credit card, if you're paying the minimum payment on a eighteen percent, you're gonna pay about twenty uh twenty-five bucks a month. So you're gonna pay uh, 300 bucks a year of that $300 a year, your thousand dollars that you owed got reduced to 880. So I, I redu- I paid 300 bucks, 120 of that went to my side and 180 went to the credit card company's side.
3: Yeah. That's slow progress right there.
1: But I mean, I use credit cards, right? I'm assuming everyone does just in their normal, their, their normal life, daily life, Find things and so on. And I go back to what you said a moment ago, Kevin, is we just have it built in the budget where I know I'm only spending up to X amount on the credit card because in my budget, I've got it where I'm going to pay that off in, in, every single month. And yeah. so I don't carry a balance, but I use it to help keep my credit you know, good and all of
3: that. Not and to some be places, a con- contrarian here, but you are one of the more disciplined people that I've ever met. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, you know, just to to bash, hey, credit
1: card debt is so bad. It's very common for people to use credit cards. It's just a normal thing. So again, you know, I, I don't feel like you're alone or whatever, you know. And, but, so you said, I'm, I'm disciplined. I would hope that everyone would build in discipline.
3: I I agree. You have to have a system for doing that. And maybe that's an actual tool that you have on your phone, maybe a mint.com or something like that, that keeps the running total of what you have been spending on that credit card. Because a lot of people, and and I'll throw myself into this category. uh, I have a credit card that I use for non-monthly expenses, things that, um, I'm gonna be using our savings, which is constantly building up, and then I draw off of it to pay for these lump sum expenses. I just swipe a credit card throughout the month and then just pay the whole thing in one one shot. I am frequently surprised at how much I've used the credit card throughout the month, and I'm I'm not using it frivolously. It's for things that we need or things that we plan for. But if you ask me each time I open the credit card statement, okay, guess the balance, I'm always going to be wrong. (laughs) And I am paying attention, right? So I don't know how even the most disciplined person without a system like a mint.com or something like that is going to be able to keep that running total going in their head throughout the month. Oh, it's so easy to
2: lose sight of that. And one way you can build that discipline in is you just connect the credit card company to your bank account. And you say, hey, look, I want you to draw... 100% 100% of the balance out of my account, mm. my credit card balance, on a monthly basis. So that way, you're never going to have a month where it's not all paid. Yeah. And that that forces you, that that's kind of a little self-discipline that's baked in, and it forces you to make sure you've always got enough money in the checking account to get the credit card bill completely paid, because if not, you're bouncing.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, gosh, you got to make sure you know, giving up the discipline on knowing what your balance is or when you pay it and all of that, you really have to increase your discipline on making sure you've got enough cash in the bank. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So are you guys fans of folks spending, Josh, you said you only use your credit card for non-monthly, not like non-regular expenses, but a lot of folks work the points.
3: And so everything they spend, it all goes on the credit card. Are you fans of that? I personally am not, and it's all because I've heard of the studies that show when you are swiping a card, you statistically are spending more money than you otherwise would have if, for example, you were paying with cash. There's Mm -hmm. something more emotional about giving up cash. I, I have a $20 bill that I pulled out of the bank. It's been in my wallet, and I haven't spent it because I don't want that $20 to leave my hands, and yet I've swiped the debit card, many times, spent that $20 several times over. It's just something comforting about the cash in your hand. When you when it's gone, you know it's gone. Hey, Josh, right? can I borrow 20 No, you may not. Can we hit Starbucks
2: <laughs> on the way home? <laughs> so credit cards and points and rewards and all that, again, it's a financial tool. It's it, There's not a tool in the toolbox that's good or bad. You can use the tools for the wrong thing, and you can get yourself in trouble. I say if you find yourself paying interest on credit card debt, get rid of your credit cards. Yeah.
1: So here let's turn the corner here. A lot of people are in this situation, so how do you recover from it? How do you avoid it? I would start by saying how to recover from it if you've got credit cards and you're and you're just paying the minimum again, that's the regret. It's just paying the minimum is to instead of looking at it, what's the least I can pay? Flip the script and say what's the most I can pay? That strategy is called a debt snowball.
3: Well, one of the ways that you find money to feed into that debt snowball strategy is by going through line by line through your budget and find the things that you could temporarily cut out of your life so that you have resources, you have margin that you can start pummeling down on this debt. And paying more than just the minimum to get these things paid off and out of your life for good. That's right.
1: And then the way to avoid it. So I'm a big fan of debt snowball. We just talked about that. The way to avoid getting into this Problem in the first place, in my opinion, have a disciplined budget and be working the three bank account system, which we've talked about several times on the show, where you're setting money aside for those irregular non-monthly expenses. Josh said he uses his credit card to pay them, but the cash is set aside in his delayed spending account to pay that off every time the bill comes.
3: That's exactly right. We have a bank account that is specifically for building up resources to cover those expenses that you know are coming down the pike here. Uh, Maybe it's Christmas that's not that far away, right? Or the next vacation that you're going to take. You need to be building up savings to cover those things so that you don't have to swipe a card and literally borrow money to cover Christmas or to cover the vacation. The card, the credit card, becomes more of just a transactional tool. You got it.
2: Yeah, and if you're in this boat, I would encourage you to get help. A lot of people have some sort of shame or embarrassment, what have you. Work with your certified financial planner, find someone from your church, someone that, find someone that's a big fan of Dave Ramsey, who's a, who's a, you know, a big budget hound, but find someone who's got these skills. It's a skill to be able to run a budget and to be able to use credit cards without getting yourself in trouble. But just think when I'm using my credit card, I want to have a strategy to get them paid off every month and never pay credit card interest.
1: If you disagree with us, have a different idea, or have a question, give us a call, 574-222-2000, or reach out to us on wisemoneyradio.com. We got the controversial financial regret number four coming up next here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, here on Newstalk 95.3, Miss News Channel.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm Mike, I've got Kevin and Josh in the studio with me today. We are talking about the top 12 financial choices people make that they later regret in their life, hoping that you avoid making these mistakes or having the similar regret, or if you already have, how do you recover from it? How do you pick yourself up and move forward? And as Kevin said earlier, take those emotions towards shame and embarrassment and use that energy to push you forward and make better financial decisions. That's what we're talking about today, guys. We want to hear from you. If you disagree with us, let's talk about it. Okay? Give us a call, 574-222-2000. You can leave a question, normal financial question that we'll address on an upcoming show, or we'd love to hear your comments or maybe your experience as well. You can also leave that by going to wisemoneyradio.com. All right, guys, I've teased it out over the hour. The fourth financial regret, in my opinion, is pretty controversial. I, In fact, on break, I said... Okay, guys, how are we gonna do how are we gonna do this? This is gonna be a little sticky. All right. Financial regret number four is bankrolling your kids. Dun, dun, dun. Wah, wah. Casey needs to put in some theme music to that one. There you go. So wah, this wah. one's at least emotional. Wah, wah. Oh,
3: totally. It, if it's not controversial, it's at least emotional because anytime you're talking about your kids, whether they're three years old or thirty-three years old. Uh, you know, you, you never stop being a parent, I'm told. Well, right? but
1: but controversial in the fact that this is it, kind of the root of this is, all right, what's your philosophy on raising your kids and getting them ready to take on the world? Yeah. And no one's going to tell me how to raise my kids. I'm, I'm, you know, just paraphrasing here. That's how most people feel. You can't, you can't discipline my kid. That's the day and age we live in. You can't discipline my kid. You can't tell me how to raise my my kids. You can't. We don't even know what the truth is anymore. Right? So this is controversial, in my opinion. How do you handle that? We all as parents, all of us in here are parents. We want to provide for our kids. We want them to have a great life. We want to, in many ways, have their life be easier than ours and certainly set them up for financial success. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you balance all of it?
3: Well, especially when, you know, having that goal in mind, making an easier life for your kids, it takes away some incentive or reason to ever say no to your kids as well. You know, if it's within your financial power to help your kids, then why not do it, right? At least that's what a lot of parents may decide. And that might seem all fine and innocent when it's just, uh, how many sports are we going to sign them up for? Well, any of them that they want to do. Um, versus maybe when it's time to send them off to school, do they get a blank check? Do they, are you sending them off with a credit card in their hand? I mean what what are the controls or the boundaries that you're willing to put in place as a parent especially if it's in your power to say yes why would you ever say
2: no and just to clarify we're really talking about bankrolling your adult children uh, No, no I've but started, it starts early my though my kids right? are
1: 6 and 4 they're not <laughs> I'm just kidding
2: <laughs> They're ready and for they independence, milk and <laughs> you <laughs> hey, yeah. oh right. man
1: Yeah Well so I the other Part about this that makes it so tricky is because we get to see, you know, the intimate details of people's financial life and sometimes the results, the consequences, this the effects of their choices. I've seen people that have been extremely generous, no communicated boundaries to kids, totally bankrupt. The kids turn out wonderful financially. Mm-hmm. I've seen it the opposite too. So it's almost it's also there's no kind of real, Hey, if you, if you make this choice, you are heading towards trouble.
3: Yeah. So there's no fast. Well, and, and there are some folks who they are generous with their kids. They're helpful to their kids financially and they can afford to do every bit of it. And unfortunately I've seen some examples where I'm watching, it's like happening in slow motion here. Um, folks who are bankrupting their own retirement for the sake of their adult kids, kids who are in their fifties or sixties kids who are dependent 50s. upon mom and dad still. Yeah. And you know, the, the real heartbreaking scenario is sometimes when we are working with those kids who are receiving this extra help from a prior generation, I, you know, I, I've seen scenarios. I've, I've heard these words out of uh, some of, potentially your kids, our listeners' kids, who say, man, you know, I'm going to inherit this money someday anyway, so why not use it and, um, you know, take the money now while I can enjoy it or get some extra use out of it. And that that might be logical if the dollars are eventually going to land in your hands anyway, but the moment that you start seeing it as an entitlement to yourself, that's where it changes something in someone's head. And without exception, I always see that mentality in the lives of people who are living just beyond their means, Mm. right? And I don't know if they've gotten used to just being able to spend more than they make because mom and dad have consistently bailed them out or supplemented their income, but it changes someone, it changes their behavior, changes their habits when when it happens.
2: Yeah, and it changes the relationship too. And I think when you look at that dealing with money and your adult children, it's confusing because they wonder is, it, is the money that I have to work with the money that I have, or is it the money that I have and the money that mom and dad have? Right. And so I've done, you know, in, in preparing for the show, um, just a lot of reading and research. And they, you know, they say, well, hey, make sure that you're, you're lending this money to your children. And you know that's it's kind of a farce. Depending on the relationship, I've seen it even in my own family, where it's it's not a, it's not a loan, dad. It's a gift, because um, you're never getting that money paid back ever. Right. Yeah. And so and and so you know the, the you know the real smart people on money say, well, make sure you know be clear on how the kids will use the money and get them get the details and writing and all this stuff. And I think is that really how you want your relationship with your kids? I mean, that sounds like the relationship i want the bank to have with my kids right yeah. not so if you're going to go that formal should it really even be you stepping in to financially help and there are there are um, places online that you can go that you can formally have a, a a loan agreement drawn up and and a interest rate and all these things um, but i i think man the way that it changes the relationship it really it's really something that you should consider strongly before entering into this yeah, I,
1: it's tough because I never want to give any financial advice or guidance that I wouldn't also do myself. Never, never do that. Always eat in my own cooking. And I know you guys are the same thing, and that's how we operate at KFG. However, what I'm about to say for advice to those of you in a similar situation or pondering this is not what my folks did for me. It will probably be what I do. My kids are younger, so I don't have to tackle this one yet. But what I would encourage you to do is start talking with your kids about money early. Involve them in the conversation. Give them some test cases to illustrate or demonstrate, I should say, responsibility with money. Talk to them about a budget and the purposes of it. Get them involved. Have the financial discussions openly with your kids, not airing all your dirty laundry, but talking to them about wise financial principles. We're often, involved in those discussions for some of our clients. They ask, Hey, can you talk to my kid he's in high school or he's in college and talk about how to make great financial choices? But for me, my folks never involved us, but there was just an inherent drive. Hey, as soon as I got a car, I was getting a job because I didn't I didn't want to ask my folks for money. My folks are some of the most generous people around. I was afraid to ask them for money <laughs> because then they, they then had license to judge what I was going to do with the money. Yep. And I wanted to be independent. So, But even though that's not what my folks did for me, and I suppose I turned out okay, I would encourage you out there, start talking to your kids about money.
3: Well, and you're creating the environment that they're either going to be forced to learn and grow in, or you're going to make it too easy for them, and they never have to pick up new skills. Thinking about budgeting, for example.
1: Which is a skill. You've got to pick up that skill. The,
3: The only way that you get really good at budgeting is when you live with constraint in your life you have a certain paycheck and you've got to make it stretch so you learn how to budget, right? Yeah. But if if as a parent, you create an environment where budget isn't necessary because you remove all constraints by filling in the, the gap when their own resources fall short, then why would they ever need to build that skill of learning how to prioritize, learning to say no to themselves or not yet to themselves?
2: Yeah, I think this is where you'd want to involve your certified financial planner. If you are... Uh, a parent and you've got adult children and to say, does this fit within my financial plan? Can we actually afford to do this? And, and should we do this? Because there's the internal finance. A lot of times this uh, taking care of my adult children is born out of uh, regret that I have in how I raised them and all kinds of other internal finance issues. So talk to your planner about this and and get some help.
1: Okay, guys, this is just launching the series about financial regrets. We've got more of this next week and so on. So that's going to do it for us today, though. Thanks to Josh, Kevin, I'm Mike Bernard. We'll see you next week here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3
0: MNC. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.